you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. So I was wondering what, what, what you do in South Dakota for... for Okay, I've got an answer. See if he's right. Kyle Tiffin. That's what we do here. All the cow tippers, raise your hands. Let me see you. <laughs> the few, the proud, the inane. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking Cameron in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast we are in the middle of our ototo that's one time one time only states month for this scenario these are all states that the band has only played in once so we went through vermont then we went in 1995 for wyoming and last week was maine this week when you think of cities and states that they don't play in very often the Dakotas don't really come to mind when you think of Pearl Jam shows. So, yes, today we're doing Rapid City, South Dakota from 1998. Not a place they went back to, but you know what? Makes for an interesting conversation today. And we'll get into that. We'll get into a little bit about the European tour that's about to come up and kind of sneak up on us. And a little bit about Matt Cameron because of him going back on tour with the band, obviously. And then, you know, a little bit of what was going on with him at the time, this being his sixth show, which is very crazy. So let's get into all of it. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, so we're about to have more shows, and that's really exciting. And I put them all on my calendar yesterday because I'm forgetting. I'm, I'm really forgetting a lot of the dates. And I wanted to make sure that we were on track with what we're going to be doing for the website and stuff. And I look, I'm like, okay, Pink Pop 18th, Berlin 21st, uh, Zurich 23rd, Imola 25th, Frankfurt 28th. I'm like, you know what? That's a lot, especially compared to what was happening last month. Like, it fe- they're going out there for a legit you know, well over a month that they're spending. Right. Right. And it feels like (laughs) they haven't done that for a very, very long time. So this is really going to be the biggest test for them 
if they can get through this. And the first one came with a lot of difficulty. And, you know, I think there's probably a little bit of hesitation on everybody's part. I, I think that maybe going back to what they were feeling on the West Coast when they were doing that run, I think that they were all like super pumped just to get out there. And now the mood has changed a little bit. So what do you think is happening in Pearl Jam camp right now as they prepare for this? Well, I think they can't wait to get back out on the road. I think after the way things ended in California, I think they are itching to put that in the rearview mirror, no pun intended, and get back out there and, and give the fans the show that, they, that they've been waiting for for over two years now. I think if they could do it today, they would. And you know they hated to cancel those shows oh, in, uh, yeah. in Sacramento and Vegas. They that would never a, want to do it. That was an absolute last resort. And I think they are going to be pumped up to go play. I think they're going to hit it hard at, at Pink Pop, and I think they're, they're going to get after it immediately. There's going to be a lot of energy. Yeah, and you know, it, it's interesting because Pink Pop being the first show, it's a festival. And it's honestly, I've been kind of saying this week, it's like you can either use one or two of these quotes and you don't have to quote me on this. You can just use them as just your normal everyday way to phrase this. But Pink Pop being the fest that Ed built or Pink Pop being the festival that made Pearl Jam, which both could be true. I, I don't know if like Pearl Jam put Pink Pop on the map or anything like that, but it was a pretty big deal. So they're going back to a place where they have a ton of great history. Yeah. I mean, three of their best shows, you think about that 1992, how iconic that was 2000, some of the best performances of binaural songs, you know, we covered that and it was just song after song, just amazing. And then, you know, going back in 2018 and everything with the callbacks to, to 92 there, that was a special night as well. So who knows what this one's going to hold. It's going to be, it's going to be another one, you know, coming after, you know, what happened, it's going to be Cameron's first show back and it's going to be special. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, especially festivals when you want the songs that are going to be the most energetic, that the the crowd is going to sing along to the most, and and that's what I'm really expecting from this. I'm expecting, if not a greatest hit show, then just a show that has everybody moving, that has everybody excited to sing and and oh, yeah. you know, they're, like they're going to play their best songs. They're going to play. They're going to play the ones that, that get everybody moving. And sometimes that is greatest hits and sometimes it's not. They have been throwing these deep cuts in there. You know, we saw that that last year. You can get one and, deeper. Yep. You can get and one deep we, cut. And uh, yeah, I think uh, who knows. But oh, I think they would hit the stage tonight if they could. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And kind of one of the first things that comes to my mind is that reintroducing Cameron at Pink Pop, it's going to be big. Of course, it's going to be big. There's tons of Pearl Jam fans there, but it's also it's mixed. So not everybody in the crowd really gets what happened last month. The you don't Pearl think Jam so? people do. Honestly, I, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. I'm just assuming festival, and I know Pink Pop's a little bit different, but I also don't know a, a whole lot of people, Pearl Jam people, that are even going to Pink Pop. I know maybe two or three, and, and none from the states. But they're obviously going to bring it up. But I feel like if the first show was in Berlin, that they would have something massively like, you know, the crowd would give them a standing ovation when they first take the stage. You know what I mean? I don't know if any of that's going to happen for Pink hmm. Pop. And, and I guess one of the other things that I'm, I'm thinking, like, is Matt going to have 
a big moment in this where sort of thinking along the lines of like, give them black diamond at a festival, like play kiss at a festival, give them the spotlight, let them sing. They they could do cold day in the sun again. If they wanted to. Sure. Yeah. Or or Jeff, honestly, like, will they have a big Jeff moment? Will they play something like a pilot or nothing as it seems just to get a couple of Jeff songs and Jeremy or why go? I think that'll be his his big thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. For a festival, you would obviously go with those, but even, even Matt's point of view and and the songs from like, maybe we're going to get, like I think the long way songs that Matt sure. wrote, maybe a very unexpected choice would be you are possibly, but I feel like the band is going to do good by both of them for the first couple shows here. I, I feel like just like the last tour, just like last month, there's going to be a lot of story that comes out of this and I'm excited to see what the story is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I really hope they're able yep. to stay healthy the whole entire yep. time because yep. I know Ed's had COVID now we know Matt and Jeff have had COVID and Josh has had COVID as well. Don't know anything about Stone or Mike or Boom. Mike is the, obviously the one that you really worry about because he's immunocompromised. But yeah, really just hope that everybody's health stays intact and that they go out and make classic performances like they usually do out there. So that's all I got for that. But with Matt kind of being the focus of that and not playing a couple of those shows in May, obviously, you know, he's a little bit of the focus of this show that we're doing today too, because Matt in 1998, isn't an official member of the band yet. That would come probably. And I think it was after the second leg of this tour where he said, I'm in, let's, let's do a record together. August. Yeah, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, at this point, it's crazy to think that, it's only six shows in. You would think that like he's still kind of figuring out what to do. And then a lot of the performances in the show, he's just again, fantastic on. We talked a little bit about it. If it's not out now, then it's going to be out sometime this week. We talked a little bit about it during the wish list late night series episode that we put on Patreon about him. That was his first performance. So now it's kind of in the same territory here. And on wishlist, he was just super confident, absolutely all that you expect out of Matt Cameron, like tearing it apart. And here it's no different. He's feels like a legit member of this band. There are maybe like a couple of hiccups in this show, but not too many, but there's some big moments for Matt that they let him just go off. And it's just great to see it. And especially this early on that he's not hesitating with any of that. Oh yeah, we're going to get to one pretty early on where he throws in something and you're like, okay, he's fitting in very nicely. Absolutely, absolutely. So, as we mentioned a thousand times, this is OTOTO State Month and being South Dakota, I didn't really know a lot about South Dakota going into this. However, we have friends in good places and our friend that's been on the show before, Dukes Wooters, was able to hook us up with his brother who had been to South Dakota and gave us some fun facts about South Dakota. So. Why don't we recite some of them now? Okay. What you got? When you head into South Dakota, you pass one of the most famous gold rush towns in the country. And you might know the name of it because it was an HBO series called Deadwood. That's kind of cool right there. He says it's an absolute tourist trap, but a fun one if you did watch the show just 45 minutes away from Rapid City. While you're in Rapid City, you're only 30 minutes away from Mount Rushmore and the Black Elk Wilderness. The Black Elk Peak is the highest point east of the Rockies, not only in the U.S., but until you reach the Pyrenees Mountains of France. 
Did you know that? Did not. You're learning some good geography here on the show today. <laughs> South Dakota is one of the states I've never been to. So, How many have you filled out? I think I'm at 42 or 43. And does that include drive throughs or not? No, that's that's setting foot in. Okay. All right. Wow. That's that's pretty solid. Rapid City itself has a decent downtown with a few good places to eat and drink. Firehouse Brew Company was a favorite of his. So if you're there, head on over to Firehouse. If just you're a picture visiting this summer. Them, I'm going to foreshadow a little bit. It talks a little bit about it in the encore break. talks about some stuff that they saw. I just picture them driving in the van like, all right, here we are, South Dakota. This would have been good for them to know the local watering holes. Right, right. Yeah, that takes away a lot of what my conversation was going to be about for the improv in this. But, you know, we'll go back to it, of course. The last thing here is the biggest reason why people visit is for Badlands National Park, just an hour east of Rapid City. On your way there, you will be peppered with the best highway marketing campaign in the country to visit Wall Drug a drugstore outside the entrance to Badlands in Wall, South Dakota. When he was there, he stopped and it lived up to the height. So a drugstore is the big thing about, I guess that reminds me of New Hampshire, where any of the entrances into New Hampshire from either Connecticut or Rhode Island or Massachusetts or what have you, they all have the New Hampshire liquor store as the welcome to New Hampshire spot. And every time that we go up to Maine, if we go to Massachusetts, anything like that, we always, always stop at the liquor store because they, first of all, it's tax free. And second of all, they have everything, including one of my favorite whiskeys. So yeah, it's kind of like that, I suppose, but I don't know what exactly you get at that drugstore. but Hey, for people that know, they know. So if you're heading to South Dakota, just keep that in mind. Keep the wall drug in mind. And once you enter the Badlands, just throw on Dark Side of the Moon and enjoy. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. I would have never guessed any of this stuff in a million years. But now, if I have to go to South Dakota for anything, whether it's vacation, whether it's travel, I know what to do. So, you know, maybe South Dakota could be the last state you know, number 50 for you, and we'll all have a big celebration at Waldron. <laughs> That'd be kind of sure. fun. Sure. It would help if Pearl Jam would play there again, but I doubt, doubt that's going to happen. Yeah, we're probably way past that point. All right. We're going to go into the show, but before we do, we got a sound check on tape that we were able to find on YouTube, which has a majority of what they did, but there was some stuff that they did ahead of that that they did, too, that didn't get on tape. So... What they did do in the sound check is Pilot, Present Tense, Leatherman, Last Exit, I Got You, The Split Ends cover, and the song called Rich in a Ditch, which is a song by Clark Kent. What do you know about Clark Kent and Rich in a Ditch? Yeah, very little. The main thing I know about Clark Kent is that Ed had played it on self-pollution radio. Hmm. And he, I remember that there was a, a Clark Kent song. I think it was Away From Home was the one that he played there. And I remember thinking like, okay, this must be like some, you know, little kind of Seattle band. Because he was playing, you know, Slant 6 and Mudhoney played The Descendants on that thing. And it's like, okay, so this must be some like obscure kind of young punk band from Seattle or something. 
come to find out that it's actually Stuart Copeland from the police, his solo project where he just played everything. Wow. And it's pretty interesting. As far as we know, this is, you know, keeping with the, the OTOTO theme, I guess, this is the, the only time that we know of that they've ever performed this song. Right, right, yeah. and They've never done it at a real show. No, never done it at a real show. And to my knowledge, never done it at another sound check before. So I didn't know that about Stuart Copeland. That's really, really interesting. I didn't dig deeper into Mm -hmm. that, but I I knew that you would have something on that. So that that's great. Interesting because it does not sound like the police. That song did not. It was. It's almost very like. Well, I went and listened to a little bit of the original. It's a little bit more like kind of new wavy. It's interesting, you know, it came out in 19, 1980 or 1981 even, but it's just one of those little obscure things that Ed probably found and was like, hey, this might be cool. Yeah, it's just a, a weird thing for them to do. Now we're talking about it. I, yeah. I don't think it's going to ever really get talked about in any other capacity, so there it is. What else from this that we got? On the recording, we did not get Nothing Man or Indifference, but right. there was a little bit of a story on Five Horizons because they used to do these fan views and, and people send in you know, what their experience of the show is, and there was one for this show. The, the guy that, that told the story, his name is Kyle Madison, and he said that in the beginning, he went out and he kind of was able to get to sound check and he was able to hear things and he kind of disguised himself as a journalist for a local newspaper. He could hear someone playing. I got shit. He walked in. No one says anything. None of the security stopped him. Obviously this is pre nine 11 America. He just walks in, walks out in front of the stage, see stone stone gives him a little wave. Like what's up, man? He says he looked around like, are you, are you waving at me? What's going on? So he just was right. able to to hang out there until someone finally came along and asked him what he was doing, and then he uh, he had to you know walk back to the doors and then just listen. But Kyle, if you're out there, hit us up, man. I'd love to hear that the rest of that story. Oh, of course. This was probably written the the day after the night of this show, but I don't know how much of a memory he would have. But you know what? Look, we always say to these people that we kind of stumble across. You know, if if you find us, uh, please send us a message. It has maybe happened once, maybe. So we have yep. to yep. when when we do find the person, then I think we'll have to pull up something special. But we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see. So yeah, after a little while, Stone played almost all of Hard to Imagine, jammed for a little bit, and then while he was jamming, he saw somebody ride along on a longboard. And it wasn't anybody, but right after that, Mike rode on a huge beach cruiser bicycle. And then Cameron came along. He was riding like a big uh, tricycle, not not like a kid's tricycle, like an actual like bicycle tricycle. If that makes any sense, obviously bicycle and tricycle is not the same thing, but bicycle sized tricycle. And Ed kind of jumped on board and they were all just kind of hanging out. Yeah, you get to see them kind of being loose. Like, this is even before the sound check even starts. Like, you see them just kind of, like, hanging out. Like, this is what they do to kind of relax and, like, get in a good mood before the show. Like, that's pretty cool. We almost never get to hear about that or never get to see it. 
Yeah, we've we've seen a little bit like Ed riding his bike around the arena and stuff like that. I think the the story that we remember is the Mansfield story where he was just kind of riding around and and people were asking like, "Hey, is is the rumor true? Are you playing every song on this three show stretch?" And he's like, "You'll just have to see." So yeah, and and we actually have a photo of that. Of uh, somebody on Twitter shared a photo of them, like not that that moment, but a moment where he's uh, talking to people in the park parking lot which is really cool and then i think at the san diego show this year he did the same thing he got out of the car pulled out a bicycle and started riding around so hey cool of him to do anything from the sound check that speaks out to you here anything that you thought was really interesting i thought pilot wasn't played a whole lot at the time and it sounded pretty cool it sounded tight they they did a version that apparently didn't really work so they had to do it for a second time but when we hear it live kind of nowadays and i think it's split i think it's been played like 32 times where 16 happened in the early era like you know 1998 through 2003 and then the rest happened from then going on but it felt like pilot i guess maybe was closer to the album version than we've usually gotten live well yeah i mean it's it's still very early that was a current song at the time so made sense that they would be playing it pretty straight. The one that stuck out to me was Present Tense. You know, they had just brought it back in Missoula for the first time since the end of 96 and felt like it was very deliberate and felt like they were really taking their time with it. Felt a little bit more slow, like, let's actually work through this and make sure we have it. They don't play it at the show. They wouldn't play it for another, I think, five days. They brought it back in in Chicago. Then just the two covers at the end. Very cool. Well, all right then, fuck you. Do you know what that's in reference to? That is how they take the stage at this show and then head right into there's no release, there's no oceans, there's no long road. We're going right into evolution, baby. thought on this in 1998 is varied where you have some really really good quality stuff and then you have some stuff that is kind of like this where it's a little bit muffled sometimes you get the guitars muffled the bass is almost unintelligible it's not the best recording but you have to go off of what you have this is what we have and during the first song i think it didn't sound very good at all, but then uh, along the line and the rest of the set, it, it does sound okay in times, but it's it's not the perfect bootleg that you would hear from 1998. And especially, it, it feels like it's coming from distance a little bit, so that helps within just not getting that kind of sound. They had only opened with Evolution 11 times in their history twice happened in 2014. They both happened at the Big Day Out Festival in Australia. So <laughs> kind of semi-recently, you know? But Evolution is not really one that you think about when you think of Pearl Jam's openers. Yeah, and, and too, I think at the beginning you hear a little bit of the, the crowd doing the Eddie, Eddie, which, sure. he, he, which he never likes. 
No, of course not. And it was, it's going to put him in a bad mood. But I think this is more of like, here's a place that, that we've never played before. Let's get out and hit them with something energetic. Like, let's get this crowd going because they don't know what kind of reaction they're going to get in, in South Dakota. They don't know what the crowd's going to be like there. So it makes sense that they would come out firing. And this first little section here, I thought Stone being very good. You know, it's funny. He was the first one out in sound check practicing. He's going to get the first highlight here. The, the solo in Do the Evolution is very good. And then the solo a few songs later in Brandon J is also very good. Two very good stone moments early on. So that set the tone for me. Sure, absolutely. And and I think that along with what Stone was doing, the other things that I noticed in Do the Evolution, just Ed's vocals, the growl's always perfect, especially 1998. 1998 is a very good growl year where he doesn't do it every song, but when he does it, it's pretty vicious and intense. And the build gets angrier and angrier, more furious as that you go Eddie along Chan, with the song. That Eddie Chan got him worked up. He was Probably. Like, never and lets it. So the next three, it's Animal, Last Exit, Brain of Jay. All three of these songs under three minutes long. I thought that Mike Solo really shined on Animal. He goes for it. You know how sometimes in it, like, it sounds good, but you know that there's an extra gear that he can shift to. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're waiting sometimes for him to do it. And this time, I think he hit that extra gear. And maybe, you know, trying to show Stone who the real lead guitarist is in the band after his... Yeah. His evolution solo, maybe a little bit of competition there. That's, a little back I, and forth. I can, I can see them kind of like giving each other a little playful stare down, trying to one-up each other. Right, right, right. There's going to be a, a lot of other great Mike moments kind of mixed in with this oh, too. Yeah. Especially one that, mentioning Animal, is going to have a very similar solo to it that I'm very excited to talk about. Last Exit, fast. It's impossible not to hear Matt on this version. The ending is perfect. Intense, big build-up to it. I, I Like, Last Exit, I think in this era, like, 1995, 1996, 1998, it's just one of my favorite live songs. I just can't get enough of it. And it feels like that ending really, really burst and just hit all the right spots. And Brandon J, look, it's following the pack, just a serious, fast song. You're getting the fullness of what Matt is doing on this. That entire bridge until the end, I thought that Matt was just insane on. And obviously, Stone in between with, with that solo, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. stone solo and you can tell that like matt's getting more comfortable because we talked about it on that wishlist episode where there may be a little bit of tentativeness like you know you had talked about oh why wouldn't they do given a fly why wouldn't they do do the evolution and maybe it's because wishlist is like a simpler thing but now you're seeing the work that matt put in come to fruition and pay off and he's able to kind of like take these songs and throw in a few things and the next one is one that i thought he really stood out on too well, let's head to it then. We got Gibbon Fly and Jeremy as the back-to-back here. 
you like Given a Fly at this show, and there's a lot yeah. of good things to like about 1998 Given a Fly. There's no Jack, but look, Matt in this era is doing his best to to kind of bring what Jack brought. So what was the best part about Given a Fly here? What did you notice? You know, I'm listening, and I'm definitely listening for Matt because, you know, Given a Fly has a little bit of that jack kind of rhythm to it at the beginning it's a more complicated drum beat than we give it credit for sometimes i think because it's not what the song is about really but i'm listening to this and it's very good and then you get to the end and cameron starts throwing in these little fills at the end like throwing a little flourish on like all right guys like i can just see the confidence you know maybe the band's kind of like you know we talk about those moments where the band kind of comes around the drummer and kind of feeds off of him a little bit. I can see them doing that at the end of Kevin to Fly here. And him just kind of like showing off like, all right, guys, I got you. We're, we're, we're good. We're good. That was a really cool moment. Just listening to him in his sixth show already throwing in these little flourishes and showing like, here's what I can bring to this. You know, this already established kind of behemoth that Pearl Jam was. Like, the story's not told yet where he, he's going to have something to say. The dude has confidence. We've always known this. He has immense amount of confidence, and he just plays his life away. And there are some songs and performances that the band would kind of... I think Immortality is really the definitive one where the band takes it kind of low and and kind of waits for the ending, and then Matt is just like, nope, I'm on my own planet. You guys do whatever you want to do, and I'm just out here. I'll do the rest. And yeah, I think this version of Kim Flyant definitely had that at the end. Okay, John. I mentioned to John before we started recording that there was going to be something that we might go off topic about, and this is it. Before getting into Jeremy, Ed says something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. If you don't know what that phrase is, that is what allegedly is a wedding tradition that most brides take part of in putting their wardrobe together. Something new, usually being the wedding dress, something old, maybe a, a necklace from a family member, yeah, yeah. And, and all that. I think you guys can pick up what we're talking about here. However, Pearl Jam is playing this wedding. They're playing a wedding here. Whatever wedding, whoever's getting married, doesn't matter. The bride and groom said, look, we love you guys, but we want you to hang out and enjoy the party. So you can only play four songs. So due to that quote, the band thinks about this. And they say, all right, got to play something old. We got to play something new. Got to play something borrowed. Got to play something blue. What songs do they pick? Um, at a wedding, something old is going to be, be hard not to say black. Yeah, that's a decent one. I, I think um, like the easy ones to go for are obviously Alive and Even Flow. The one I picked was Breath. Because, okay. like, when you think of old, like, Breath is, you know, first week in, of course. Sure. And it's just sure. one that, especially because it felt old for so long because they ignored it. And I could see a lot of people, especially if they're Pearl Jam fans at this wedding, they're all going to scream that part. If I knew where it was, I would take it. Like, that, that, that's a great moment right there. So, like, say this is a Pearl Jam friendly wedding. Then well, I'm thinking, you know, it, 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 give give black, give me a little "We Belong Together." Yeah, tag in there. Give me, give me like a, a nice little kind of sweet version of "Black" would fit. I think very nicely. Of course. Something new. How about "All Right"? Interesting. I 
you know, obviously took a similar direction because of the record and what we have is still new. I think Dance of the Clairvoyance. It's just like you can kind of throw a strobe light on or something like that. And, you know, people aren't going to sing along to the lyrics on that. But like it is a song that makes you kind of want to move your body. So I think that would be a lot of fun for a wedding. Okay, cool. Something borrowed. Obviously, we're going to we're going to go with a cover song here. Right. Give me Soldier of Love. Huh. Interesting. Okay, so you're going more of a, a... I wouldn't say slow dance, but it, it's, it is sort of slow dancing. I, I think that are all right is kind of slow dance. A little bit. All of these are sort of slow dances for you, huh? Yeah, I'm hitting the theme hard here. I think they're going to play up to the moment. Okay. I picked for Borrowed, I picked the obvious choice. I picked Rockin' in the Free World, and mainly because, you know, I borrowed it for mine. Sure. And it's a party site. Like, it just... I remember my whole entire family like taking the dance floor. It was the second to last song, of course, out of my request. <laughs> my one thing that I wanted for the wedding was to have Rocket in the Free World to deal a lot better. And it took a lot of convincing, but we made it happen. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, like that's it's a party song, as we've seen the band do thousands of times. Something Blue might be the trickiest one. What do you have with this? Yeah, I'm in two different minds about this because... When I think of Pearl Jam and Blue, I think of the cover to the Avocado record. Right, yeah. So I think that something off of that might work. Also, there's obviously, you think of being blue, being sad. You could pick a sad song, yeah. of which, which Pearl you Jam can, has many. You could take off that record, by the way. True. But I'm going to go, I'm going to take that very literal. I'm going to say they're going to play sad. Huh, okay. Sad is a sad context but the song itself isn't necessarily blue so to speak but it's interesting i i didn't really know what to pick for this i thought that maybe a good powwow on this one would kind of bring it out in my mind but the first one that came to mind was nothing as it seems and i don't really know if that would work for a wedding but it's definitely fitting the it's it's blue you know okay so that was that off-topic conversation there. And now, if you guys have something old, something new, borrowed or blue, for Pearl Jam songs, just write us an email, live on 4 at gmail.com, or tweet it to us, or post it in the podcast community group on Facebook. That's all you gotta do. It's easy, simple, we'll have a good conversation, we'll have a good time. So, all right. Ed finally takes the microphone here, says you all made it safe. <laughs> Do we have anything on Jeremy? Sorry, I completely ignored it. Yeah, no, not really. All right, all right, we're moving forth then. Ed says you all made it safe. It's a little bit crazy out there. It looks like the weather is about to wipe South Dakota off the planet. That's okay. It's all ending anyway. It's the end of the world, folks, and it's happening right here, right now, and I think we're just fine with that. Fuck it. This means by the time that Bill Gates owns the whole planet, it won't be worth shit anyway. This is going to lead you into a four-song section here of Faithful Corduroy MFC Not For You, which, if you're doing the math at home, is Yield Vitalogy. Yield Vitalogy. That is a dream for me right there. That is my kind of set list. Yield songs, total amount of yield songs in this set, six. Total amount of Vitalogy songs in this set, six. I feel like that's really high for Vitalogy in 1998. And well, it's, helped, it's helped by the man trilogy. that's going to happen later, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. 
the one that I liked a lot out of these this bunch is is MFC. MFC was was really good for me. And as he's known to do before, if this was a show that was an every night show on the tour where they do the same thing, the same point in the set list, say the same thing to introduce songs. Ed mentions before MFC that it's about getting in a car, driving as fast as you can away from a bad situation. Now you listen to that and you're like, of course he said that before he said it a million times. That's why I say if it were like you two or something like that, they would say that every single night in the same spot. That's probably the one and only thing that he's ever done that's consistent and not even that consistent, but he's, he's said this you, a couple times. Depends. You've, you've gotten like the serious collector's line a few times. For but, MFC? I don't know. No, not on MFC, but on, on Alone and like, oh, different things okay. like yeah, that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a couple of, of things that he goes back to, but yeah, there's there's nothing can about a Pearl Jam show. For me, it's the intro to, to Corduroy here. It's a very kind of pretty major key, almost like what the Romanza intro to Better Man was. This is to Corduroy. It's kind of like a totally changes the vibe of it early on. And then like, you're like, what is this going to be? And then it kicks into Corduroy and like, oh, wow, cool. stood out to me and then getting mfc and not for you just two like really upbeat ones before getting into the even flow mid-set anchor probably you know sometimes you might get like we we kind of skipped over faithful but you might get a mid-tempo one but they're they're going into even flow blazing here yeah for sure absolutely and the other thing on mfc that that i had here was that a lot of times when we talk about mfc we talk about two different things that i really love or that i at least notice one being the nause the last couple of versions that we did didn't have any noise, but this one does. Just got to bring it back into the fold, mention it, because it's something that people get very excited for when we talk about this song. The other thing that I love is when MFC can be more atmospheric than punk rock, where it can just feel like the whole entire arena is the sound reverberating off the walls and everything like that. I think that's kind of my favorite thing. And, and at the end, taking that mindset and just extending it enough to where it's close to where the album extension ends and I love that part because I, I really think that MFC would have been a much more common song live after the Yield record if they had sort of a thing with playing a, an extension on the jam there. And it's just, it's so good. And every time I hear it, I, I just want so much more. So yeah, that's, that's my thing with MFC. 
Faithful, not for you, we didn't, we didn't mention much about, but not for you, I will say this is kind of like the eighth week in a row here that we've gotten this fantastic buildup. And the ending kind of cuts off from recording, but, you know, it might have been a tape flip or something like that. But you can tell that it's another one where they're just building up to that big crescendo and then going off for the end. So no lack of that. This has been a very nice stretch for not for you for the last little while. Definitely. Even flow. What'd you think about the solo here? No, I didn't think this was necessarily a scorcher, but he makes no, it pretty it's, interesting. It's, it's more of the bluesier style like he's doing something a little different here it's a little slower a little more deliberate and definitely bluesier it it kicks in a little bit near the end but yeah not not a hendrix or anything like that van and not a van halen version right more stevie ray yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah that's that's all i got on it and just you know obviously note at the at the end doing the never vote republican and south dakota always being a Republican state, I wonder if it hits home more when he does that, if it feels a little bit better when he can say that in a full red state. He probably changed somebody's mind there. There was some impressionable 18-year-old that, that, <laughs> that it stuck with, I'm sure. Okay, I won't. And what is that 18-year-old <laughs> doing now? Are they stopping the seal? Who the hell knows? But hopefully they're still listening to Ed. Daughter follows up right on that, and and look, it's, it's a couple hits right in a row. And the tag features dog barking? Yeah, that was, uh, uh, what'd you think of the bark? Just him being weird. Yeah. I think that's, that's something, you know, we should mention too, like, Frank Black from the Pixies opened up this show and, you know, right. go back to Atlanta 94. Oh, Black Francis ain't got nothing on me. Like that's something that, that Frank Black, he kind of does these little yelps and little kind of barks when he sings. And right, I think right, that right. might've been like a tribute to Frank Black, maybe. Yeah. That's a really good call. That's a really good call. And I think we mentioned this at another show that either like cheap trick or Iggy pop was opening up for them where it's like their heroes are the openers for them, you yep. know, or artists that they looked up to because the Pixies were around, you know, late 80s, mid 80s, and then kind still of around. They just, just announced a well, new record the other day. Well, I know, I know, and they're yeah, opening up for Pearl Jam at Hyde Park, yep, but that's, right. that's what I'm saying. Like, they, yep. they were listening to the Pixies before they had made it. So uh, another influence for them. And that kind of comes into play because a few times on this tour, they went back to Pixies tags here, whether it was uh, monkey gone to heaven, heaven. monkey gone to heaven. That's, that's the one I'm thinking. This one here is I've been tired.
this is a pretty cool song. It's classic Black Francis. Oh, love this. Yeah. It's lengthy, wordy verses, and then a raucous chorus. You know what I mean? Like that's that's where they fit in best. Where it's kind of it's kind of kooky. It's kind of weird. And then they're like, once they get into the chorus, they just hammer it home. Very good. Oh, yeah. Come on, Pilgrim, Surfer Rosa, Doolittle, like amazing, amazing records. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit of Three Little Birds following up on that. But it's not like they don't make that a thing. It's just still in the daughter tag progression. And that leads to a good clapping section from the crowd, which we haven't heard a lot from up to this point. Might be due to recording, but... True. Yeah, this is like a C plus, B minus at best. Yeah. Most parts, yeah. But yeah, it was was cool to hear because, you know, they had the moment early on and... It's, it's like, that's the thing about these, you know, 90s bootlegs that I think I mentioned, you know, last week or the week before, too. It's like, you get a different perspective on the show. Because, like, in this one especially, too, you know, you hear people talking and, like, it's cool to you. You kind of, like, get put in the moment. And, like, yes, having these official bootlegs, you know, and the ones from the West Coast Tour have been coming out last week. And we've been checking those out. And, like, yes, it's amazing to hear it all in, like, perfect sonic clarity but you lose a little bit of the immediacy and like what's going on in the crowd i'd like to have a little mix of both sometimes yeah we're gonna get to a crowd moment a little bit later where you really do get to hear them during an ed speech which is really kind of interesting uh but we'll bring it up when we bring it up but right here i think we got to get into one of if not the most important point of the show ed comes out and he says this. Okay, we're going to attempt something now that uh, hasn't been attempted by this band before. Woo! Uh, we're going to play three songs in a row that each have the word man in the title. So, this is the debut of the man trilogy that became something pretty uncommon to hear at shows. Most of them happened in 1998 or 2000 and it became a thing to chase. And here you're starting this off with nothing, man. You're in the middle, you got leather man and then better man is going to anchor the end. So I hate to do this because we haven't, recorded the nothing man evolution episode here but this is a really good preview for that because this is going to come back up strangely enough nothing man had only been played 11 times that was the 11th time that they played it that that night right it wasn't played at all in 1995 i think they dipped back into it in 1996 at a bridge school show or two and then a little bit on the european tour and not much This is the gateway for Nothing Man to kind of figure out its role in the Pearl Jam live catalog. If it wasn't for the trilogy, I really wonder where this song would be. And what's funny about that is that it not only made the trilogy and and was a big part of the trilogy, but it kind of came out of this threesome here and sort of made a name on its own and became super popular on its own where they didn't need the man trilogy to use nothing man anymore yep but here this is their way to say all right we really like this song we want to get this in we know this is not 
normal Pearl Jam for you, but this is one that we want to tie in with these others. So maybe after a while, you guys will get used to this and we'll really see it as one of the bigger live songs. That's right. It's definitely the turning point in the song's history. You know, we talked about a little bit, you know, when we did Augusta about, you know, the first Save It For Later tag on Better Man, speaking of another song in this trilogy. Right. And how, you know, at that point, Tremor Christ had been played more than Better Man. And from then on, it was just to the moon like that, like unlocked the song for them. Like, oh, we, we can do this every night now. And, you know, Nothing Man hasn't been played nearly as much as Better Man, but... Sadly, only 139. That, that yeah, feels like feels a weird low. number. Yeah, um, especially... But I think that it feels low because you do see it a lot, and when you see it, it is memorable. So that's yeah, why absolutely. you kind of go back to it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of become one of their big kind of sing-along ballads that they have and it's something that the crowd has kind of taken and you know obviously we're going to get into that a little more on when we do the patreon evolution episode of can't wait after hearing it here just a fantastic version here ed really feels like he's locked in on it It felt like he was really kind of showing off like they knew that this trilogy was going to be a cool thing and he wanted to make sure that they did the song justin and so it felt like he was singing it for the first time just a really really good performance i thought even you know as good as better man is and you know that you don't get a save it for later here on this better man it's it's not like one of the big anthemic ones that were kind of coming into being around this time i thought i thought nothing man was the highlight here of these three back on like 98 and even 2000 versions of Nothing Man because the crowd isn't involved yet. The crowd doesn't get to sing along and for a lot of the smaller states like the the crowd is going to get in on the 10 songs. They're going to get in on Alive and Even Flow and Jeremy and, and all those. And I love the idea of just listening to Nothing Man and not really hearing the crowd react to it. The crowd is kind of reacting in the same way that I'm reacting listening to it at home. Like you mentioned, we hear it all the time in this boot where people are just talking in the background and it feels like when we get to the she don't want him, she don't need him, then everybody's just turned their head and they're like, okay, what's going on here? 
and then they're captivated until the very end. And then I think right at the end, you really get a great reaction from this crowd, whether they're singing along or not. They're they're taking notes in their head and they're like, okay, can't wait to see this one again. Oh, definitely. This is one where it's a captivating performance. It's one that where everyone's going to stop and be like, oh, so, something's happening here. It's one, I think it's one of the most underrated songs in their catalog. Like, I love the studio version, love the, the tone of it. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, that this had its, its little moment here. And you picture, you know, the band too, even like, oh, if it's going to get this kind of reaction, then, then we need, we need to do this more often. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, patience is a virtue because after a while, the thing that they want to happen or maybe don't expect to happen, I don't, I don't think they want anything to happen. It all comes unexpectedly, but it probably happens in the middle of the 2000s where the fans Mm -hmm. are on top of it and they're just like, okay, you guys love it. We love it too. Let's continue this. Let's, you know, other crowds hear it on bootlegs and and let's continue this trend absolutely leatherman i think that the sound quality of the bootleg kind of distracted me a little bit from what's going on in leatherman this is the no third... it, was a, it was a bad performance don't yeah don't <laughs> okay all right i'm glad you said that i, I didn't want to go too hard it's, on it but it, it's, it's real the... awkward in the middle yeah even you know they sound checked it that the sound check performance was better than this yeah and you like you were you were getting ready to say you know only the third performance yeah it's, right, right, right. it's a fun song it's here because of the title and because it fits in with the other ones but the cool thing too is you know we kind of talked about stone a little earlier he mentions that stone's going to be on tambourine on this one that would have been cool to see yeah, I think he threw out a tambourine into the crowd, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, what's interesting, the the flip side of Nothing Man becoming a breakout star outside of the Man Trilogy is Leatherman kind of sticking with the Man Trilogy and not going much other places now. You have Nothing Man that kind of elevated to a meager but solid 139 when it should be around 300. And Leatherman is 65. And that sort of became, once this tour and once a couple other tours happen, it, it dips in and out, but it's not an every night sort of thing. It didn't get the Lost Dogs bump because it wasn't on Lost Dogs. You know why? I always thought that was weird. I think uh, it's just because Ed wanted to keep it kind of close to the vest and didn't want it uh, to kind of be around. I think he just wanted to keep it as a, like a special thing for what it was right there's that an angel and the things that i was thinking about with those is that you know jack is on leather man and i was like oh do they not want to pay jack his royalties but no there's whale song there's whale song obviously and the same thing with angel like did they not want to pay dave a out his royalties i don't think they had a choice they they had they had plenty of money by that time it wouldn't right 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 so anyway at the end, it just fizzles out. I think there might have been a technical difficulty that Ed mentions afterwards, but yeah, it's just kind of garage rock, and they're just still figuring it out. They like it, but they're figuring it out. I think I wrote down yikes. It is. It's pretty yikes performance, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Ed kind of stops in the middle here and says, it's so fucking awesome. This is a great thing for this. Just a great Ed quote. It's so fucking awesome to say that I don't like this guitar. Give me a new one. And then some guy comes out and gives you one. You know, I've noticed this recently about like 1995 through 1998, 2000, maybe not as much in 2000, but 
Ed loves the little perks of being in a huge rock band. He loves that he has a crew that are really good at what they're doing. He loves that people tape the show or he can go back and listen to the tapes afterwards. He loves people handing him new instruments and, and like doing almost like doing things for him that he wouldn't get a chance to do in a club or anything like that. And I just find that really interesting. Like it feels like that sort of started to sprout about like 1994, 1995. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, being in the biggest band in the world had comes along with a few perks, he likes to consider himself, you know, more, more Fugazi than you two, but you can't help, but, but enjoy some of that stuff. The one that I was specifically thinking about was, I think Ed had mentioned like, Oh, we get these nice cushy hotels now you know what i mean right like they were staying in like motel eights and stuff like that but i think he was he was really excited about the hotels all right now we can get into better man and that is going to be the performance that's on live on two legs which is coming out this weekend on yep. record store day i'll be in line to get that very excited for it it's one of my favorite com- it, i think it is my favorite pearl jam compilation it's just so well done the performances are all classic while I don't think this Better Man specifically is the best Better Man from this era, I love other stuff on the album more than I love this version, but it's still it's still a good performance. What you can really hear about this, especially in the beginning, is that over Ed kind of doing the pluck, you, you hear Jeff playing over Ed in this, which is interesting because you don't usually hear Jeff in the background on either Better Man or Shoddy Bootleg recordings, but you're able to hear them here, which you'd never think about the bass kind of backing up in in the beginning. Yeah, very good. Like I said, you know, this isn't like one of the classic Save It For Later anthemic Better Mans that will come shortly, but I mean, you can still see why they wanted it on that compilation. It's upbeat, it's got a good energy to it. It Probably because of Cameron. Bounces a little bit, yeah. It's probably because Cameron, because the yep. fills are just nasty on it. And it's the fifth time he's played it. So in this amount of time, to be able to be so confident on it, I mean, that that's Matt Cameron in a nutshell. But for them to say, okay, we're going to use this for a compilation. We don't care if it's the fifth time or the hundredth time. This sounds good enough for us. So that's all the confidence they had in them, all the confidence in the world. You want some trilogy stats? Hit me. Nothing leather better which is this combination and i think maybe my favorite there's some uh, yeah, sometimes that's, i like that's the way it should be yeah right leather nothing better is interesting too but because that's you're starting off with more of the fast one it, it depends on what you're coming out of and what you're going back in i think when you do daughter i think nothing man is the best option for that so this is a really good pick for it so nothing man leather man better man five times that's it Seems low. It does seem low, but we're going a little bit lower here. Nothing Man, Better Man, Leather Man, just switching the two back end ones three times. So if you have a counter going on right now, that's eight. Better Man is now the leadoff. Better Man, Nothing Man, Leather Man, which I don't think I remember a lot of versions that have Better Man as the leadoff. Only three times. Better Man, Leather Man, Nothing Man, twice. So how many is that, John? What are we at, 13 now? That is 13, correct. And it's not getting much higher than that. Right. Leather Man is now the leadoff in this. Better Man, Nothing Man, three. Leather Man, Nothing Man, Better Man, two. Total, 
18 times that they've done the man trilogy. Is that when, low to when you? When was the last time that they did it? Have they done it in the 2010s? Yes, they did it, yeah. and I was there. Right? They did it in 2016 okay. at okay. Madison Square Garden. So, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was the last one to my memory. But they hadn't done it since, I guess, like 2006, maybe. Hmm. Maybe there was a couple that were thrown in there in the backspacer or something like that. But, yeah, yeah not, not a lot. Okay, let's get into immortality here. And all I have to say is, holy crap, the Mike Solo is just everything you expect. I almost caught myself during this performance not paying attention. Like, I had something else going on, something on TV, and I was just like, all right, just listening to it, listening to it. And then I wasn't even paying attention to what Mike was doing in the first part of the solo. I had to, oh. I had to skim back a little bit. But that first part, it's more bluesy. You got to think back to Evenflow, more bluesy. And then it's almost like that drive didn't have any build to it almost. It, it was just like bluesy and downtrodden a little bit. And then boom, just an immediate, immediate peak. I think it's going back to what I said about Animal, how it just went completely out of control. And it's the best of Mike. I think both of those solos were the best of Mike at the show. hear it there's a little bit during the solo and apparently there was strobe lights going off during this so you hear ed i had to turn this up because you really couldn't hear it too much on i the was recording. wondering if you were gonna catch this yeah i did he said like the lights keely the lights i didn't know if it was turned down the lights or turn on I, I don't know what it was but it was a comment about the lights going off yes i mean Mike, you know, immortality is always one of his best moments. But the best moment from this, I thought, was Ed. And this is another one where you have to kind of turn it up a little bit. After the, you know, some die just to live part, you hear him just whisper in the microphone, like, just to live. Just was really cool because you know he's thinking about stuff and how many times we you know oh he'll do this he'll kind of turn off mic and say something or we'll lose it he won't get it in the bootleg but this one they caught it him just whispering repeating the end of that line that was very very cool i thought yeah this was a standout performance absolutely yeah for sure and then the outro screech guitar matt's pounding away you know what this outro reminded me of it reminded me of something from wilco's playbook not Wilco at the time, not like 1998 Wilco, but later on, like past Yankee Hotel for Foxtrot. It feels like sort of that experimental vibe that they go through where, you know, the, the band is doing something a little bit kind of spacey and then the drums would just go off. Yeah, I can see that. All right. Speaking of immortality, what's the other side of immortality? That's mortality. Some guy got hurt up front, so they're going to take a second and take care of him. So let's take a break. Maybe I'll take this moment of silence to introduce you to someone you might not know. His name is Matt Cameron, and he's playing drums with us tonight and playing very well. So I was wondering what you do in South Dakota for 
he says something at the end. Like, what, what was the word that he said? Because that was un- unintelligible on my end. He didn't well, say fun. I couldn't. Don't remember. Okay. But whatever he said, this is the moment where the crowd is just like, what? No. Uh, they, they don't like this. They either feel like he's kind of speaking down to them and, and kind of like saying, oh, well, this place isn't really yeah, that great of a place. Yeah, cow tipping. I think that. Yeah. yeah. The crowd is not happy with him in this part. But he says, what do, what do you do in this place? And the answer is cow tipping. And he comes up with that answer and says, if you've cow tipped before, raise your hand. The few, the proud, the inane. And that gets a little reaction from the crowd. But he, they did not like what happened going into that at all. This is where we get a little bit of an improv, and I wonder if the improv sort of came about because they just wanted the situation with the fan hurt to sort of clear itself, so it could have been immortality in the go, and they decided, okay, let's let's play something to kind of, you know, ease the tension a little bit and kind of break and, and, you know, sort of settle things. What'd you think of the improv? It was good. And, you know, a lot of times people wonder when you get these improvs, some of them seem a little more fully formed and a little more like they could end up being real songs. But, you know, the tell on this one, too, is it's only two chords. It's just the same two chords over and over again. And that tells me that, yeah, this is not something that was being worked on. It does have lyrics. There's TikToks about, like, you know, there's got to be more. And I think you kind of teased earlier where they might have been driving into town and something yeah. on his mind. Like, Corner not store. A lot, not a lot going on here. The fact that it's just the same two chords repeated over and over again tells me that that's just something that they worked up on the spot. This is just, yeah, like killing time, making sure whoever was in the crowd is okay, and then they're, they're going to get back to it. But, I mean, it goes on for a couple of minutes. It's perfectly fine. You know, Ed's, you know, of course, he's a genius at doing this, able to just come up with something kind of meaningful and appropriate, like on the spot like this. It's a good talent to have. kind of sounded like because there's the, the the delay on these chords yeah. and it felt like it was kind of like the bugs like the dun 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 dun, yeah, dun a any, little like that yeah, yeah. the same same two chords thing yeah definitely all right now the ending is going to be go into a live and as you get right into go oh uh, yeah, I, I still have a thing with just songs being in drop D or or just drop tuning. And right when Go hits, you're like, is this Go or is this Habit? 
Because that's kind of what it sounds like. It's so attitude. Not attitude. It's it's so yeah. just dropped and, and just not what you expect Go to sound like. And and even at the end, it just feels so weird. It's it's such a weird intro into this. And I get that they were probably coming off the improv and nobody thought to say change guitars because of immortality. They just went right into it and didn't even realize. I wonder it had something to do with that. But could be. Yeah, it like tuned a half step down or something. Yeah. Right, right, right. And I, I wonder. You know, nowadays I think that Go has a little bit of a drop down, but not too bad. But it's just interesting to see in this early era how they would pull it off and. Yeah, it's it's uh, Mike still has a scorching solo on this, but it's just odd to hear drop down like it. Yeah, the the tuning thing, you know, it doesn't bother me as much as it does some people. Yep. But you can always tell like it's something is a little off with it. However, it does get you into a pretty good version of Alive and of course, that's going to be the one that everybody's going to want to get back into, that that they're going to want to jump around and then sing to. And, you know, I think the last couple times we've done a live in 1998 specifically, the song had a renewed sense of energy to it, where in 95 and 96, it sounded like Ed was just done with it. We've talked about that facet before. And now I wonder if, and I, I brought this up before, I know I have, I wonder if the addition of Matt and what Matt can bring to the table on this has kind of reinvigorated the the spark that Ed and maybe the rest of the band has for it. I think that was definitely the case. Yeah, because anytime you've got like this new injection of talent in your band, he's going to have a fresh kind of take on everything. So yeah, whereas maybe in the Jack years near the end of the Dave they years, they were kind of like... Uh, maybe a little part of it maybe it didn't fit with what Jack was doing but here comes Cameron and I'm sure you know I would have loved to have been in the room the first time they played it with him because I'm sure it came off as like just way more energetic and way more electric than it had in, in years previous and you can tell that right away here they're giving it the spot at the end of the set and that's because obviously it's one of their most popular songs but also they weren't doing that a lot in those kind of mid-90s years so here it's back they played it 46 out of the 47 shows on this tour like they did a lot of these and it definitely felt like a new start for the song yeah absolutely i think that has everything to do with cameron yeah and you know you don't have a lot of massive massive showstoppers that feel like a big big moment like you do now and alive and even flow are the ones that are really holding that glue of being the showstopper and if you don't have that in 1995 or 1996 you don't have too many not for you even you can kind of consider to be pretty showstopping but alive definitely is in back and form and and just the story of it the next year where they go out on tour and they wouldn't play it after ross killed and everything it just brings an interesting perspective to it how they were thinking about it the whole time absolutely all right let's get into the encore pause for station identification talk a little bit about patreon we have a couple new patrons that we would like to thank this week for as a matter of fact amber Harmon, 
Thank you, Amber, for joining on Patreon on the bonus leg. All four of these members are bonus leg tier members. Thank you so much. Viola Nemzow, thank you so much, Viola, for joining up, and hopefully you get to enjoy the content there. Mark Enders joining on the bonus leg, too. Thank you, Mark. Again, hope you enjoy the content. And then we have somebody that signed up as the name Boomer15. So that's what I'm going to call him. He didn't give a name. So I'm going to say thank you, Boomer15. Awesome. And Thanks, yeah, guys. yeah, that's great. So it's a good, good time to join up. You know, maybe they saw we were doing those reaction episodes during the West Coast leg, and we're going to be doing that again. So now's the time soon. to join up. You're going to be hearing our instant takes on some of these European shows coming up in the summer. Yeah, and like I mentioned in the, the very beginning, that they just kind of snuck up on us, and and it's already when this is coming out Wednesday, obviously. It's already going to be Saturday, and we got to prep for all the stuff that's going on. Like, we got to yeah, make yeah. sure that we're on top of the live stream and everything like that. And what I will say is that, yeah, we're going to have probably the next day or the day after all of these reaction episodes going on. But the stuff that we were doing on, on Twitter and Facebook, it's a little bit tougher this time to do up to the moment updates like this because it comes at a time where it's still middle of the day. They're probably playing most of these shows, what would be about two or three o'clock in the afternoon for us. And that's a tough time for both of us. And we're going to try our best to fill in the weekdays as much as we can to update you on the show. And, and maybe it'll happen in bunches, but we're, we're going to do the best. That's all I'm going to say is we're just going to do the best that we can with that. We, we know that you guys look forward to it. We know that you guys really appreciate it. So we're going to try our best with that. Hopefully you guys can understand that. Obviously, we have things going on in our day that aren't part of Pearl Jam or the podcast. And we really want to, we look, I want to be sitting at my desk all day and going through live streams and listening and starting to write and stuff like that. But it, it's just not feasible to do that with, with things going on. So at the end of the day, however, we'll be able to kind of go through, hopefully go through some YouTube stuff that's been out and go back and listen to the live streams and stuff and then go and do reaction episodes like you said before. So that's going to be the big sell for the month of June and July. And as we mentioned in this episode, two things coming out this week is Wishlist from the Letterman performance in 1998. And coming out pretty soon will be the Evolution episode featuring Nothing Man, which, again, you got a little piece of today. So if you like that, then you're probably going to like all the rest of the story. It's going to be good. If you are not a patron and want to join up on Patreon, then head over to patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and do the same. Search for live on four legs. Or the other thing that you can do is go to our website, liveonfourlegs.com, which again is going to have a lot of new material coming out very, very soon. A lot of stuff that's going to be intertwined with what's happening on tour and a lot of the stuff that's it's going to be a reaction to the last tour as well. So get ready. There's, I think that this is going to be a good content month for the website coming in. And on every single page, you can find a button that says become a patron. Just join up there. And it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy. So as we said, now's a good time to do it. 
and look, we're so thankful for everybody that pitches in. It does so much. I don't think you guys really know how much it does for us and helps us put together all the stuff that we plan and all the stuff that we do. So we really thank everybody for pitching on that. Like from a dollar to ten dollars, it doesn't matter. Like we're so thankful for it. So again, like you guys are great. Hopefully you guys are really enjoying the content over there. If you are more interested in just donating to the show, that's fine too. And we really respect that and love that. So but again, we do have a lot of content coming. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it over there. All right, back to the rock. It's a pretty short encore here. And the way we're going to start this out is a stone on the mic situation. He says, this is real nice. Thanks a lot. Are you guys alcoholics? Wonder what, but have no idea. And he says, I have friends here tonight from Pine Ridge, so it's nice to see them. And I I wonder if that's just his way of like, okay, get a shout out to the friends and then give Ed his his spotlight back. On the way in, we saw Mount Rushmore. This gets a booze. I wonder if that's like the stereotypical thing that they always hear. They're like, okay, we're done with this. We're done with this, like other things. And that's why we didn't mention it in the beginning of of the show, because obviously you guys know about Mount Rushmore. It's a nice little rock carving if you're into that patriotic thing. But we also saw this other thing that I think is something awesome, and that is the Crazy Horse Monument. So cheers to 50 years. Hell, hell. And that's going to get you into hell, hell. Back to back, Hell Hell and State of Love and Trust. I thought that these were fantastic. I was a real big fan of Hell Hell and just the pacing of it and like coming back off of what you had in the main set and coming in with that. Like that was just really energetic and really hit a spark. Loved it. Same with State of Love and Trust. Just kind of kept that energy going. Yeah, the way that Hell Hell begins, where like everyone starts at once, it's a good way to come out of a break because like it kind of feels like, oh, you're, you're punching them in the face. Everyone's coming in at the same time. It's an upbeat song. It's a very different energy than starting with, like, you know, Ed coming out and doing an acoustic song or starting out with a cover or something or coming out with the sit-down stuff that they would would do now. This is a very different thing. It's like, we got a short encore. We only have a little bit of time, so we're going to hit you in the face right away. And, yeah, this is another show, too, where there's no covers. So you're going to get five more Pearl Jam songs. Yeah, coming off of this, we're going to get another combo with Black and Wishlist that's kind of a little bit different, obviously, within the pacing and within the tempos. Yeah. And we can talk about that with Wishlist for a little bit because that's going to be a spotlight on Patreon, as we mentioned before. And, you know, they mentioned that they weren't going to play Black, but they added it because they never played it in South Dakota before, which. And probably yeah. for the, the Black and Hills like, and the Black Elk, and like there's yeah. uh, some of the monuments around there that kind of ties in. Sure, sure, yeah. But I I am wondering if that's what led to the rearview mirror closer, if they had absolutely no time left. Like, right. this would have been a good show. They checked it, Indifference. It would have been a good Indifference night. So, sure. But, hey, look, it, it, it makes sense that they would put it on the set, of course. And Black is another one, like Alive, I've always thought 1995, 1996 was a bit of a dip down for it. I wouldn't say uninspired, but we've definitely heard better versions after. We heard better versions before. And 1998, I think they find it back again. Another one that you can maybe credit Matt and Mike for, where the energy just pumps through and you can feel the crowd react to it. And, you know, Mike just going off in the beginning of the Hope You'll Be a Star part, like just excellent lead into what he's going to do on the solo as well like it, it was just a very very good performance i really like this one this is the one. 
We can get into it. Wishlist is just a for a penultimate song. This is not normal here, and it's a little weird. You know what I mean? I like this here. I think that it gives them a chance to do something different with it. And you, there's there's a moment too in Wishlist where when Ed's got his Ebo and he's doing his part, he starts to play around with it a little bit, like he's doing some a little more weirder stuff, having some fun with it. It felt like. And kind of like just being a little bit more loose with it. Whereas if you, when you get wish list in a main set, you're going to get a pretty straight version. But here it felt like you're near the end of the night. They can kind of play around with it. So it, it almost felt like I think everyone else dropped out while he was doing his thing. And then they all kick in back in to finish the song. I thought it was great. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all. As we'll mention in the Letterman episode, in the late night episode, the ending just kind of catches you off guard when they do that. It's very exciting. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's so different, but Wishlist doesn't feel like the song. And, and, you know, maybe it's because it's a middle set kind of song and like you just kind of stick with what the plan is usually. Like if Wishlist came out of State of Love and Trust and then went into Black and then River Mirror, I'd probably be sitting here saying that's pretty good. I like that because Black is a really good idea for a penultimate song. It doesn't happen enough. Wishlist has just not been in this role, especially as a new song at that point. It had been played 26 times, so obviously it's one that they're continuing to pull out there, of course, but a little bit strange. A little bit strange. I say, I say mix it up. I'm all for it. We're closing out here. This is enough of a mix-up. We're closing out here with River Mirror, which doesn't really get closed with a lot. We've heard it before, but it's not a common thing. And like I said, I wonder if the clock just ran out on them. You know? Could be. What'd you think of the bridge here? There was a moment that kind of reminded me of like a Hawaiian kind of rhythm in a way. Really? Yeah. It got weird to me. It almost felt a little bit like some of the stuff that that the Pixies do. I mean, the, obviously, Pixies being on their minds with, with Frank Black opening up and then the I've Been Tired tag. Pixies can do that. They can get a little Hawaiian and get a little bit more of that off-kilter sound, the rhythm that they have. You know, Hawaiian music, I think the thing you're referring to, it has it just has a different rhythm to it. And this felt very kind of weird Pixies-inspired, some of their weirder stuff. I can see that. It's just like the way that the chords kind of ring out, a ton of reverb, uh, you know, especially on the bass when the bass builds back in. But yeah, I I can kind of see the Pixies influence there. What a great way to just close a show, you know, like the ending, just super powerful. And then you don't think about it, but just the ending itself, once the bass rolls in, just that ending part it's sectioned out there's like a lot of bits and pieces within the ending here there's some changes and they're they're very subtle because it just kind of builds up more and more and more but just hearing matt go off on those changes and and you just sort of listen to where he's going with them and even there's one where he comes in i think a little early on that like just like setting up the speed for the ending you know what i mean yeah it's something i mean he's obviously hasn't played the song very much and it it felt like they were giving him a chance to like go ahead and take this show these people what you can do absolutely but i guess that part sort of made me think like okay you don't think about how those changes can sort of be i guess a little tricky especially now because matt perfects it every single time and you know jack perfected and dave a perfected it too like you don't think of 
all the little things that kind of come with it. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, just subtle little things. But now perfected in their sleep, it, it doesn't matter. So, all right, we made it through this one. We made it through South Dakota. Now we got to pick some moments that we really appreciated from the show. Um, up first, I'm going to say number three for me is going to be immortality. I'm going to pick immortality for number three. And the solo was just unbelievable. Just one of those ones where Mike really just turns it loose. And again, the outro, another great outro on it too. Uh, for number two, I'm going to say it's, it's, this one's a tough one. This one's a tough one to pick some moments for because they're like it's it's a good show i think overall you kind of think of the overall show aspect of it but you don't think of certain individual performances so i'm gonna go with like maybe the way that mfc sounded i'm gonna go with mfc here so i'll, I'll pick that as number two and, and number one is going to be the debut of the trilogy it has to be like what what else from this show can you really take away besides this trilogy it kicked off a nice little tradition within pearl jam and something that's celebrated so much so yeah you can't deny it yeah that's that's pretty good i'm pretty close to that i've got daughter at at number three mostly because of the pixies tag big fan of the pixies so that that was cool to hear and my number two is immortality for the same reasons we talked about, especially when I heard Ed whisper that that just to live line repeating that that triggered it for me. That was a very cool moment. And then yeah, I'm with you. You know, no doubt number one is the trilogy, the man trilogy debuted. It would become definitely a thing. And you know, for something that's only happened eighteen times in their history, to hear the debut here was very cool and definitely became something that that people wanted and people chased and it kinda popped up at, at some memorable shows. So this was very cool to hear. Let's make a rating out of this. And and that is the thing, as I mentioned, to take away from this show. Every, every show has something that you can go back to and be like, oh, yeah, that. This show is easily this. You know, maybe the last show that we did, Augusta had a couple with Rodman and had the Save It For Later tag. But this one just has the trilogy, and that's pretty good as a way to go back and, and look at it in full to see where Nothing Man came from and then just exploded as one of their classic, classic live songs. And yeah, that's the moment from this. And I usually deduct a couple of points if I don't love the recording of the bootleg because this is going to be something where if we're covering this, if we're covering a show, I want to get you guys involved with going out and listening to the show. A lot of people do what I think is the best part of Live on Four Legs, and that's going out and, and knowing what, what we're doing ahead of time or seeing our post come up or, or the notification come up that this is the episode, and they go out, find the bootleg for this, and go and listen to it first to form their own opinions and then listen to ours to say, okay, wow, that's okay, that's either really different, I didn't think that way, this is tough because I really, I really didn't love the quality here. And that takes it down a notch for me because again, you have to kind of sell people on going to listen to it. That's half of the goal. And it's middle of the road. It's middle of the road. It's, it's not a bad show at all, but again, like picking moments were a little tough from it. The man trilogy keeps it together, but I think this is a seven. Uh, that's funny. I'm exactly there with a seven as well. Not a lot of things here that I would probably go back to. That's one thing I usually that can bump up a show into that kind of classic rating. If I listen, I'm like, oh, I want to want to go back and listen to this again. But yeah, being not a lot of big, huge moments in the show, the the, the man trilogy 
it's cool again for more of historical reasons just like the saver for later was when we did augusta but there would be better versions of it later yeah so this is yeah exactly i'm i'm right there with you it's not not terrible fun to listen to but can't go back to it for anything specific so i'm gonna be right with you seven and that's okay look they've played over a thousand shows in their history some are gonna be excellent and some are gonna be ones that you can't hear enough of and some are going to be like this where, look, we got to try it out. And obviously what we're doing, and we're almost at 200 official episodes. We've covered way over 200 shows at this point, probably around like 215 to 220. And the goal is to try everything, to try everything once from every era. So I don't know any other time if I would have thought to go back to Rapid City, but this whole month of doing the OTOTO states is kind of a, a way of saying like, hey, we're thinking about every place. We're not just thinking about like the Boston territory, the New York territory, Philly, Seattle, all that. We're thinking about everyone. So that that kind of goes back to what we were doing a couple of years ago with the Around the World series that we were right. doing. So right. same same sort of thing. And next week, I think we're getting into what I consider to be the best of this bunch. I know that you're on the other bandwagon for the, the <laughs> episode that we're going to do right. the week after, but Boise 2000 is an awesome show. Oh, yeah. I, it's still very good. Don't get me wrong. That's yeah, 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 yeah. This one too. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a love fest. So you have one this week that's going to be a little bit, okay, like on the downside a little bit. But now next week for Boise, yeah, tune in. That's a, that's a must listen. I think we'll have a lot of great things to say. All I got left to say here is that, again, if you're on Patreon or want to join it, the reaction episodes will be coming up hopefully the day after the show, or if not the day after the show, the day after the day after the show, and more website content with the Concertpedia pages and the recaps that come from right after the show. We are going to be on top of all of that, so if you want in on that, join right now in and if you're listening to the show on apple Podcasts or on spotify rate us five stars if you will give us a little comment if you will over on apple and let people know what you like about the show because that's what makes us go and if you leave a comment then other people will know okay we like what we hear so i'm going to check this out too it's all word of mouth it's all about word of mouth it's all about spreading the word so if you guys could spread the word a little bit we will be forever appreciative all right let's finish out this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways i miss you already and i miss you always we're done with south dakota we can move the van on out west a little bit to potato town for next week we'll see you then i'm gonna go cow tipping